Good morning, Fusion Church. Welcome to August, August 1st. We are soaping today in Ruth 1. Today is Ruth 1. A new soap card was uh, available online and also it was given out on Sunday at all locations. So we are soaping today in Ruth 1 this morning. We are breaking out of judges and uh, we are in Ruth today. Good morning to everyone. Um, tomorrow we have 9 a.m. prayer and worship happening uh, live at EHT and also online. We also have uh, revival prayer happening tomorrow night via Zoom and um, just a shout out to Revive Us again. It's happening August 20th at Fresh Start Church. That's a Sunday at 6.30 p.m. I want to check that out. And then um, a little almanac uh, info is it's 5.58 sunrise. The sun hasn't even come up yet, Pastor John. We have two minutes to go. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but that's what they said. I have to follow what the, the Weather Channel says. Um, the sunset today is 8.13, uh, I believe. I may have wrote that wrong, but it's close enough. Uh, 8.10, actually. 8.10 tonight. So, but we're soaping in Ruth 1 this morning. Um, it's a great chapter about Naomi and Ruth. Uh, looking forward to Pastor John's word on that. Um, so again, we are, um, I have 9 a.m. prayer worship happening tomorrow. And then uh, 6.30 tomorrow night is revival prayer. And uh, we are in Ruth 1. Pastor John is... Uh, just took a swig of orange juice, maybe. I don't know what it was. Let me get you unmuted. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, sir. It's a little bit of coffee, Mike. A little bit of coffee. There you go. We, Mike, uh, you know what? I, when you decide to retire from being a carpenter, you've got to become a weatherman. Uh, maybe. I mean, maybe. you get this thing down pat. It, it's too stressful, I'm sure. <laughs> well, listen, you can't go wrong because, you know, there's always the variables that you're safe. Yeah, you, you don't have to be 100% uh, right all the time. You got it. Yeah, but it's uh, now the sun has risen as per um, the Weather Channel. That's crazy. We've uh, lost a lot of minutes in the recent weeks. But we are soaping today in Ruth 1 for those jumping on board. <clears throat> Welcome. Uh, we have six, uh, 9 a.m. prayer and worship happening tomorrow at EHT Live, or you can watch online. And then uh, 6.30 tomorrow night, we have a revival prayer with Mike D'Amico, who's on screen this morning. And uh, I will post the Zoom information in the chat. We'll check that out. And um, I brought up uh, at about three weeks, we will be uh, revived again is meeting at Fresh Start Church uh, on August 20th. It's Sunday evening at 630. Uh, there's great ministry happening there at Revive Us Again. Um, but check that out uh, where all the churches in the area come together to pray over our area and pray for revival. So uh, again, we are in Ruth 1 as everyone jumps on board. Oh, look at that. It is 559. Mr. Doug has made it on out. I, I was losing track of time. Um, but we are in Ruth 1 this morning with Pastor John. So we're looking forward to getting started on that. Um, 
Mr. Doug probably didn't hear this, but boy, sunrise was about a minute ago. That's how uh, much time we're losing every day. It's amazing. So uh, maybe next week, uh, Doug, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll still be on. You'll be on when it's dark out officially. So. All right, uh, we are in Ruth 1 for those jumping on board. 9 a.m. prayer and worship happening tomorrow at EHT Live and online. And uh, we have 6.30 tomorrow night. Revival prayer is happening. And uh, we are coming up on 6 o'clock. Pastor John, I'm going to pass it over to you. And it is now 6 o'clock. Okay, Michael. Thank you for being our official host each week. Appreciate that. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you folks today. And some of you, I can see your smiling faces. And others, I know you're there behind the, uh, the little black patch there. But we're all together, and we're seeking the Lord today. Uh, and we have the privilege of opening his word. And I'm trusting that he's going to speak to each of us uh, the word that we need to hear this morning. So why don't we stretch a minute? That's kind of got to be a routine a bit, just to Loosen the old body up and worship the Lord. But more important, let's pray for our spirits to hear what the Lord has to say. Lord, we just want to thank you today. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, for the privilege of being able to open your book. And we know you inspired it many years ago, and specifically this book of Ruth. But Lord, we're just praying that you would breathe upon it, uh, make it a living thing. Uh, that we can apply in our everyday life. Uh, so I just pray, Father, that you would highlight those passages for each of us that we need to apply uh, as we walk forward this day. So, Lord, we're looking for you to speak to us. We come with an expected spirit. Uh, and again, we thank you for your word. That's a lamp unto our feet. And, Lord, we just pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's jump in. Ruth 1. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Abimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Ephraimites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab, and they remained there. Then Amimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpha, the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there about ten years. Then both Melian and Chilion also died, and the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. And she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return to the land of Moab, for that she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and giving them food. So she departed from the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her. And they went on way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you've dealt with the dead and with me. 
May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we shall surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I have said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and more, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem, that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? <clears throat> and she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned. And with her, Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Amen. <clears throat> so let me give a, a brief overview of the book of Ruth, and then we'll, we'll center in on Ruth chapter one. So basically, <clears throat> excuse me. Two things I, I come up with. Number one, um, that we're going to experience hard times, everybody here on the screen. But in those hard times, God has a bigger, better plan for us. And we need to trust him in those hard times. So that's, that's number one. And then the second point that comes to me is commitment is very important as we journey through this life. Commitment. And dedication is very important as we journey through this life. So let me give you a, a little bit of an overview of the book. Uh, and then we will jump in more specifically. So the story starts out, uh, it's in Judah. And a famine is hit in the land of Judah. And some Israelites need to get food. And particularly, we see here in the book, Abimelech and his wife, Naomi, uh, and their two sons are seeking food. They don't want to starve to death. So naturally, 
they're going to do some kind of a moving thing. So they move, they go to Mob where there is some food, and they're there. Uh, while they're in Mob, uh, there are two sons, and we see their names, basically Melan and Chilean. They marry uh, two Moabite women, Orpha and Ruth. So, okay, everything is established. But then all of a sudden, things go bad. Abimelech dies, and then a little bit after that, uh, both of his sons die. So it's a, it's a dark day for that family. So Naomi's in a really hard spot. Uh, she basically tells her two daughter-in-laws to, to stay there, take care of themselves. Uh, Orpha does stay. Ruth comes back. And Ruth and Naomi are in Bethlehem. And the story ends on a good note because God sends a relative by the name of Boaz, and Boaz takes care of them both. He puts a blessing on them, and their needs are met. So that's kind of like the, the quick run-through of the story of Ruth. But we're going to look at here chapter one. So let me just start reading. <clears throat> It'll be a little bit of repeat on what I've already said, but we'll kind of add some things as it goes. So it says here, now it came about, in the days when the judges governed. So the time frame of Ruth is where we've been, we've been in judges here for quite a while. Uh, while that time frame is there, this specific happens. So it's in the time frame when the judges were ruling. We don't know exactly which judge at this point, but it's in that time frame. It came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Abimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malion and Chilion. So basically, <clears throat> they move, again, because they definitely need food. They don't want to die. And hard times strike. Uh, on verse 3, Abimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. Okay, I mean, that's a radical shock in your life. When your spouse dies, your world begins to shake for sure. And I'm sure Naomi felt that with the loss of the provider. But at that point, fortunately, she still has the two sons. Somebody has to take care of her. Somebody has to protect her. Somebody has to provide for her. So her husband's dead, but at least she has two boys. Uh, verse four, these two boys, it says, they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. The name of the one was Orpha, the name of the other Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years. Okay, so 10 years transpire from when they leave Judah to when uh, they are at the current place in Moab. Um, it says, then another tragedy hits this lady. Then both Malian and Chilean also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. Now, put yourself in the place of Naomi. How would you feel? I mean, this, this is really tragic for this lady. First, she loses her husband. But thank God she has two sons that are going to take care of her and provide for her. 
And not only one son dies, both of her sons die. She is really in a bad place. How is she going to get through? Uh, there is no man to provide for her or also to provide for her two daughter-in-laws. Verse 6, then she arose with her daughter-in-laws that she might return from the land of Moab. For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. There's a, I think there's a desperation here. Basically, she's in a bad way. There's nobody to protect her, provide for her or her daughter-in-laws. But she hears word somehow through some kind of communication pattern that back in Judah, there is food. So she doesn't want to die. So she begins to head back at that point uh, to Bethlehem. So verse 7. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughter-in-laws with her. And they went on way to return to the land of Judah. Now, it's interesting. She's going, but, but she has some words to say to her two daughter-in-laws. And here's what she says. And Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them. They lifted up their voices and they wept. <clears throat> and they said to her, no, but we will surely return with you to your people. So the two daughter-in-law said, no, no, uh-uh. Okay, mom, we're, we're not deserting you. We're family. We're going to stick together. If you go back to Judah, we're going with you. And basically, Naomi says, uh-uh, that, that's not a good move. Orpha, Ruth, no, you shouldn't do that. You need to stay here in Moab. Uh, you'll, you have a much better chance of finding a husband here. And you definitely need a husband. Somebody has to take care of you, provide for your needs. So listen, you, you folks, you stay there. I need to go further. Uh, I need to go back to Judah. <clears throat> and basically, um, she tells them to do that. Uh, and then basically, it says here in 13, uh, toward the mid of it, it says, no, my daughters, for it's harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. So basically, at that point, she says, I, I know you have a hard time, Ruth and Orpha, but, you know, you got it tough, but it's even tougher for me. And again, she emphasizes it, for it's harder for me than for you. And here's her perspective. <clears throat> she says this, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. That's a pretty heavy duty statement. And I think that's kind of repeated that same concept, if you look at verse 19, she journeys forth, gets back to Judah. Meanwhile, Ruth goes with her, Orpha stays. But when she gets back in Judah, listen very carefully to her words uh, when she gets there. Verse 19. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, 
Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the all almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She's saying, this is tough. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Basically, Mara means bitter. I've had a bitter, bitter life. And God has dealt bitterly with me. And then she goes on, 21. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. <clears throat> so, if I get it straight, Naomi's theology is basically God is not for me. God is against me. That's a heavy thought pattern in her mind. God, in a sense, is out to get me. He's not for me. God doesn't want to bless me. Look, look at my life. My husband has been taken. My two boys are dead. That's her mindset. Uh, and basically, uh, that's why she says those things. She's lost her family. Now, we don't know, um, basically, in her head, whether she thought that she had sinned a great sin. You remember in the book of Job, Job's friends, they're pointing the finger at Job, and they said, Job, you have messed up. Job, you have sinned one big, big sin, because look at your life. It's a train wreck. All your family, your herds, everything's been destroyed. You must have sinned big time. Uh, there was that mindset in the Jewish culture, and I think it's very possible uh, that Naomi may have thought, boy, I, you know, God's against me. I somehow, I don't know what it is, but I must have done something big and wrong for this to have come upon me. I don't know if that's her case, but it could very well be. So basically, um, we need to kind of unpack this situation. So if we were talking to Naomi from the full light of the scriptures, they only had at the time of this writing, you know, just the, the first couple of books of the Bible here. But we have all the Old Testament. We have all the New Testament. I think if we were talking to Naomi, we could say a couple of things. Number one, Naomi, we live in a fallen world. And folks, we don't have to look very far in this society to see how crippled and broken it is. As we look at wars and rumors of wars, as we look at the Ukraine crisis, as we look at the, the drug epidemic, uh, as we look at the, the confusion of sexuality uh, in our youth, and we could go on and on, the violence, the shootings, the this, the that. You look at it and say, Lord, this doesn't have to be. We really don't have to shoot bullets at each other. But we live in a fallen world, and that all came because Adam and Eve sinned against God, and everything went haywire at that point. Um, Job put it this way. In Job chapter 5, verse 7, he says this, for man, it could be woman as well, for man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. We're born for trouble. Why? Because this world is distorted and twisted because of mankind's sin and rebellion. Jesus himself said something similar in John 16, 33. He says this, in the world, you will have tribulation. 
Jesus didn't say, well, maybe uh, it could happen. He said very clear, clear as could be in the world. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have pain and you're going to have heartache. And by the way, it doesn't matter whether you're a good person or whether you're a bad person. It's right across the board. And I, I can, I believe if we could just share everybody's story on this screen, everybody could share the amount of pain you've gone through, right? Everybody. We've all been through the ringer. There's nobody, nobody that's been immune from hurt and pain. We all experience it. Naomi experienced it. And we'd have to say, Naomi, yeah, uh, you've had a hard time. Uh, but that it, everybody has this experience. So I don't believe God was in heaven and deliberately looking down and say, okay, let's kill Abimelech and let's kill his two sons. That's kind of sick. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe that. Um, but what we do know is number one, God is omniscient, meaning he knows every piece of information in the entire universe. Meaning he knew before it happened that Abimelech and his two sons would die. He knew that. Didn't catch him by surprise. Uh, we also know uh, that God allowed that to occur. God is sovereign. And because he's sovereign, that means nothing can happen in the universe. Nothing can happen in your life or mine unless God gives the green light. Does it mean that everything that happens is good? No. <clears throat> Sin happens. God doesn't stop every bullet that's shot. Life happens. Pain happens, sin happens. God is aware of it. And we don't understand all the specifics because we're not God. Our little brain can't understand every hard thing that occurs on the planet or in our individual lives. But uh, what we do know is that God has said, I can work good out of any bad, evil thing that occurs. Whether it's Naomi in the Bible way back there, or whether that's in your life today, God has very clearly said in the scriptures, I want to bring good out of evil. I want to bring good even out of sin. And he did an amazing job. When sin entered the world, he brought good. He brought a savior and a deliverer in Jesus. So basically, he does bring good. Uh, the amazing good here, because he is a good God, God sends Boaz, a relative to Naomi and Ruth when they come back to Bethlehem. Boaz provides for their needs, and it's just a beautiful ending of the story. Their needs are met. God intervened by sending a man by the name of Boaz. But friends, I believe there's even something more significant is this, that we know Boaz and Ruth, they marry. As they marry, they have a son. His name is Obed. Obed has a son whose name is Jesse. Jesse has a son whose name is David. And eventually, going down the line, David's going to have descendant, 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 and all the way down eventually till David is the ancestor of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So what a privilege 
to think that this Gentile woman by the name of Ruth, God handpicked this Gentile to literally be an ancestor of the Messiah. What a privilege to Ruth and Naomi. They didn't know it. Think about it. In their day, it was a good story. It ended with Boaz taking care of them, but they didn't see the ripple effect that all the centuries down the road, that they literally were part of bringing a Messiah into the world. They didn't have the big picture. We have the big picture. And I think that's so, so, so important that you and I need to keep the big picture before us. Sometimes uh, it looks like life makes no sense. Sometimes it feels like, God, what are you doing in my life? It, th my life is a train wreck. It, it's all messed up. Lord, I can't feel you. It, it looks like you're against me. Just it's so easy. I think maybe at some point in each of our lives, we've had that feeling like, gee, God, are you on my case? Uh, Lord, are you mad at me? I mean, why are you allowing this to happen in my life? You can fill in the blank. I don't know where your pain has been in the past or could be at the moment. And the thought I think the devil would love to put in all of our minds is look at what God's doing in your life. He's not a good God. He just wants to make you experience pain and hardship. Uh, the devil's good at that. He tries to distort the image of God when we go through the hard times of life. But God was basically, I think, saying to Naomi the whole time, trust me, trust me, trust me. I know it doesn't make sense. Trust me, Naomi. I know what I'm doing in the big picture. You don't. So uh, as someone said, in the middle of the mess, trust me that I know what I'm doing. Trust me that I have a good plan I'm trying to work out in your life. And he did. He took care of Naomi's needs and allowed her to be an ancestor of the Messiah. I think another illustration of that is the story of Joseph. Think about that. I mean, Joseph gets this dream. He's going to be this big, important person. His family is going to bow down before him. All these things. And then everything goes down the tubes. He gets sold into slavery by his own family. That's terrible. He works his tail off for Potiphar, does everything just right. And Potiphar's wife lies and says that he made a sexual advance to her. He gets thrown in the prison. I mean, it, nothing is making sense. It looks like God uh, abandoned him. It looks like God gave up on him. It looks like God could be against him. And I think what God was saying to Joseph is exactly what he was saying to Naomi. And what I believe he's saying to you and I, trust me. Trust me, trust me, trust me. I have a big picture. I know what I'm doing. I'm working a good plan. Trust me, even though you may not feel me, even though you can't understand all that I'm doing, put your trust in me. I want to bring good out of bad. So guess what? There is a Bible verse that affirms everything I just said. I'm not just pulling this stuff out of the air. <clears throat> There's a verse in Romans 8:28. It says this: We know that God causes all things to work together for good 
to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose. We know, I like what Paul says, we know, not I hope, maybe. He says, I know, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, I've seen it in my life, and therefore he proclaims it to the church in Rome, and he proclaims it to us down through the centuries. I know, we know, God causes all things to work together for good. Didn't say all things are good. All things are not good. There's a lot of bad stuff that happens in the world and in our lives. But he says, we know that God causes all things to work together, that God works through the hard and the bad times, but it's conditional. Number one, he says, it's for those who are called according to his purpose. So that promise is not for the world. It's for a Christian believer. Really important to know that. God works all things for good for a believer that is following the Lord, not just for anybody. So number one, for that promise to hold true, you not know that you've made a commitment to Christ. The second thing, it says all things work together for good uh, for those who love God. So if we're a Christian and we start getting angry at God and bitter at God and hold a grudge against God, it's not going to work for good. It works for good as we continue to love him, as we continue to trust him in those hard times. God says, I'll work it for good. What's the good? The good is in the verse following that. That promises in Romans 8, 28. What's the good? Verse 29, that we be conformed to the image of Jesus. That's the end game. The entire end game of this life is that when the Lord looks at us, he wants to see Jesus shining through us. That's the end game, that we would literally reflect the character, the love, the goodness, the peace, and the joy of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the good. So, <clears throat> just know this. In your hard times, in the past, or what you're going through now, don't take the theology of Naomi. Don't say, well, boy. God's against me, and he's trying to make my life miserable and hard. That's the wrong theology. We need to be able to trust God that even in the hard times, as we see played out in this book, and as we see played out in the entire Bible, that God wants to bring good out of bad. And folks, the ultimate illustration of that is the cross. The cross looked like the worst possible thing that could happen to Jesus, to the disciples, and to the world. Looked horrendously evil and bad, and God turned it around. What Satan meant to literally to destroy Jesus and destroy humanity, God turned it around, and through the cross and the resurrection, he brought your redemption and my redemption. That's the ultimate illustration, how God uses bad things and turns them around and makes them good. So I don't know, again, your pain today, but somewhere in that pain, God is trying to do something very positive. It's not easy, but in that hard time, God is trying to do a positive and a good thing in and through your life. And what I hear very clearly in Ruth 1 is, trust me. Trust me, I think God is saying to his church, trust me when you don't understand it. Trust me, because I have the big picture and you don't. 
trust me and walk with me. The second theme, and we'll wrap this up real quick, is the idea of commitment. Commitment is essential in life, essential to relationships between people. I love Ruth. She said, Naomi, I'm sticking with you no matter what. I'm with you. Look at what Ruth says here, one sixteen. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I'll die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything, but death parts you and me. That lady is spunky, and she is committed. Uh, she says, Naomi, I'm with you. I'm with you to the end. And many times I've heard these verses uh, brought in marriage ceremonies. The scriptures are read. And what's that scripture trying to say? The scripture is saying one human being is committed to another human being through thick or thin. When we do the marriage vows, basically, in short, it says, you know what? I take you for better. And by the way, I take you for worse. I take you in the good times, but I also take you in the bad times. And unfortunately, our commitment level in society is slipping, unfortunately. And it's slipping in so many ways. It's slipping in regard to marriage. If I don't feel this warm, fuzzy feeling, many times people say, I'm out of here. We see it uh, sometimes the commitment level breaks down between not only husband and wives, but between parents and children. I've seen it where there's the breakdown in friendships, people that you thought were your friends and they, they, they were supposed to be there with you through the good times and the bad times. So when the bad times come crashing in, away goes the friend. It happens in the church. How committed are we? How really committed are we to each other as brothers and sisters? Are we there for the other people when the crisis has come crashing in on them? Do we stand by them? Do we support them verbally? Do we support them with our prayers? Commitment is so important. And I think you'd have to agree to me, if you look at our society, the commitment level is shrinking unfortunately, in so many dimensions, but it's so utterly important for healthy relationships to have a commitment that goes beyond fuzzy feelings, but a commitment of the will to seek the best for other people. I believe that should be the way it is in marriage. We should be committed to the welfare of our mate before our own needs. The other person according to the Bible, is where our focus should be. And the same should be, again, it's not what can the church do for me? So many people in our society, what's the church doing for me? Am I being fed by the right sermons? Is the church watching after me? Versus what can I do for the church? How can I make a commitment to the church to help the church go forward? And as I end here, the idea of commitment is important, not just committing ourselves to other people, but our commitment to Jesus. I love what Ruth said here. 
where you go, she said to Naomi, I will go. And I think that's the kind of commitment uh, we need to have to Jesus. Lord, where you go, I will go. If you remember, Peter and, and Andrew, the brothers, are out fishing, and Jesus comes to them, and he looks them in the eye, and he says these words, follow me. Follow me. Well, folks, that's, that's the definition of, in a sense, Christianity. Jesus says to each of us, each day, as we begin the day, follow me. Drop your agenda. Drop what you say you have to do. Open your ears. Open your heart. Follow me. Listen to what I have to say. And when you hear what I have to say, do it. We've looked at the theme of obedience over and over and over and over and over. Jesus is saying, will you commit to me? You follow me. There's two verses here. Uh, Luke 9, 24. Jesus says this, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he's the one who will save it. Jesus says, if you clutch your life, if you hang on to your life, if you say, it's my life, and I'll do what I want when I want to do it, he said, you're going to lose your life. He says, if you live your life just about you, me, mine, I, all those words, if that's your center, he said, you're going to have an empty life. You're going to have a futile life. You're going to have a restless life. It's going to be empty. If you grasp your life for yourself, you'll lose it. But he said, if you lose your life, you'll save it. You'll find out what real life is about. And then there's another verse here in Luke. Uh, and it says here, uh, Jesus said this, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. In those days, you'd see a cross. And they were persecuting the Romans, Christians, and they were nailed to crosses. And others, it could be anybody that was doing anything wrong, they were nailed to the cross. It was a symbol, literally, of death. And Jesus said, take up your cross. In other words, be willing to die for me. And then he said, by the way, take up your cross daily. Die to yourself daily. And then what did he say? And follow me. So friends, I think that's, that's the ultimate challenge, I think here, is yes, commitments to each other, but commitment to Christ. And I think Jesus is saying to you and me today, will you follow me? Will you follow me? Will you listen? Will you hear what I want you to do today? And when you get my directions and my instructions, will you then follow them? Friends, that's the way to have a full life. Does it mean life is going to be a piece of cake and easy? No way. You saw Naomi had her troubles. Everybody on this screen has their problems. But following Jesus allows God to use even those hard times to make us stronger and deeper in our walk with the Lord. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for Ruth 1. And Lord, we, we see this story, uh, but it's played out in the Lord, not just in the life of Naomi, but it's in a, in a sense, it's a story that reflects each of our lives. Because each one of us at some point are going to lose things. Maybe not a, a husband, maybe not sons, but we're going to lose something. Maybe our health at some points, maybe finances, maybe a relationship issue. But Father, we thank you. I, I hear you shouting loud and clear in Ruth chapter one, that you knew what you were doing in Naomi's life. And you had a good plan for her, but it was bigger than her little brain could understand. I pray, Lord, that you would build trust in each of us, that we can believe that you're not against us, Lord, but you're for us and that you have an amazing, good plan for each one here. Lord, help us to trust you in the hard times. Help us to trust you when we can't necessarily feel your closeness. And help us, Lord, not only to trust, but help us, Lord, to obey, to follow you each and every day of our lives. So, Father, thank you. Let us be a light in somebody's life this day. And we just pray, Jesus, in your strong name. Amen. Amen. Have a great day, folks. Good to see you. And I think the sun's out, Mike. So we're, we're moving ahead. <laughs> God bless you all.